Turn, if you would, tonight to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. I appreciate you sticking with it, Brother Berto. It would be easy to just say fooey on that and to walk away, but you stuck with it, and I appreciate it. So very good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this time together tonight. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would use this to be a help to us, just as a reminder, uh, something that we could uh, be helped by this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just be with us this evening. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I mentioned to you that I could not help but be somewhat influenced by the events of the week as I was preparing for the message tonight, or for the messages today. And so tonight's message, you're going to think to yourself, maybe, why are you talking about the fishing trip again? Because I was at the fishing trip, all right? So uh, that, that's why I'm going to talk about it, because it was one of those things that just worked perfect uh, for where we're going to be tonight. So this evening, I'm going to begin with a story. It's probably going to seem a little bit odd at first. You may think to yourself, why are you telling us this? Um, because there's a point to it, all right? There really is a point to it. Friday night, I left the fishing trip, and it was already getting dark whenever I was leaving. And by the time I made it to Cordell, Oklahoma, it was completely dark. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what the situation is. But the tail lights on my trailer, they stopped working before I left town. And so now I was traveling in the dark with no tail lights. And I know there are safety issues related to that with people who may be coming up behind you. But I've got to be honest and tell you, I was not as worried about the safety aspect of it as I was what if I get pulled over because I don't have trailer lights? So I was worried about the financial aspect of things. And so I pulled over at this gas station in Cordell, kind of a mom-and-pop situation there. And I had this flashlight that I could hook up to the back of my trailer. And by hook up, I just mean put a lot of tape over it and hope that it would stick, okay? So I had this black or this uh, this. Uh, flashlight that would flash red and uh, it was real bright and it was you know it was secured on there real well and whenever I got done messing with all that I thought well, I need to go in and use the restroom before I get back on the road so I went into this gas station that I've not been in in years I went back to where the gas or to where the restroom was the light was off so obviously I turned it on I closed the door, and whenever I turned the corner, there was this snake in the corner of the bathroom. Now, it was a horribly fake snake. It was a, it's a terribly fake snake once you inspected it and realized, oh, that's a fake snake. But, you know, whenever you've got your mind on trailer lights and tail lights and you don't want a ticket and... I hope the light doesn't fall off somewhere down the road. When you've got your mind on a bunch of other things, the last thing you're thinking about is, I bet there's a fake snake in the corner of the bathroom. <laughs> so whenever I walked in, turned the light on, turned around to go to the restroom, and I saw the snake, guess what I did? I didn't say, oh, fake snake, that's cute. I jumped. I think I broke out into a quick sweat. 
my heart began to race. My first thought was, those idiots. I wanted to tell them on the way out, whatever you were hoping to accomplish, I think it worked with me because it scared me to death. But anyways, my point in all that is this, is my reaction was natural. My response to that fake snake surprising me, the fear, the jumping, the increased heart rate, that sweat, everything that I experienced, it was completely natural. There were no signs in the restroom saying, this would be a good time for you to jump. This would be a good time for your heart rate to increase. All of it came natural. This evening, I know that you know this, but there are so many instances in life where our response is natural. That's just one illustration of many that I could give tonight. But you know as well as I do, there are some situations in life where it's just natural to laugh. There are some instances in life where it is just natural to, natural to be angry. There are some instances in life where it is just natural for us to weep. Whatever it may be, there are so many instances in life where no one has to tell you this would be a good thing to do. That just happened because that is what is natural and what you would kind of expect of anyone in a situation like that. Now, I tell us that this evening for this reason. I want us to look in Nehemiah chapter 6 for just a couple of moments. We're not going to be here a real long time. But in verse number 16, I want to remind us of what we looked at last week and what we looked at, I believe, even two weeks ago. But it says in verse number 16, And it came to pass that when all the enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, or they were much discouraged in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Now, verse 16 obviously is in connection or is in conjunction with verse number 15, talking about the completion of the wall, how this project has been wrapped up, everything has been finished. And so it says in verse number 16 that the enemy and the heathen, they were cast down or they were discouraged or they were upset in their own eyes because they perceived and they finally realized this was the work of God. This was not the work of man. And last week I pointed out that Nehemiah certainly understood as well that that was the product of what God had accomplished in them and through them. Nehemiah knew that that was not something he had done, that they had done, but it was God who had used them and God who had empowered them to get this project done where the walls were rebuilt and the gates were put back up and the city was fortified once more. So that in mind, I want us to think about this, that if the enemies knew that this was the work of God that had accomplished this, and if Nehemiah would have known that it was the hand of God that accomplished this, then doesn't it make sense to assume that the people of Israel probably also knew that it was God who had done the work in and through them and that it was not themselves who had accomplished this? 
for the work to have been done in 52 days, I think there would have been a good understanding on the part of the men and women of the city. They would have known, listen, yes, it was our hands who did the work. Yes, it was us who went forth and and labored. But it was God who strengthened it. It was God who enabled. It was God who protected. It was God who made all this go as smoothly as it did. I believe that everyone who was involved in the project, whether it was a hands-on experience or by way of observation, I believe everyone one was able to see this is what God has done. So that in mind, I want us to look in verse number 15 for just a moment. In verse number 15, it says, so the wall was finished in the 20 and fifth day of the month Elul in 52 days. So this tells us when the wall was complete, when the wall was finished and what happened or, or, or the timing of it. And so it says that it was on the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul. Now, I understand that there may be some uh, discrepancies and there might be a little bit of disagreement as to the Jewish calendar several thousand years ago. But I think I can prove this if, if you wanted to challenge me. I don't suspect you would. But, but if you wanted to, to look this up, I think here's what you would find and it would be in agreement with what I'm telling you tonight that the month Elul on the Jewish calendar was the sixth month for them. And according to the study, according to the research, it was a month that had 29 days in it. All right, so it had 29 days in this particular month, the month in which it was completed. And it says in verse number 15 that it was completed on the 25th day of the month. So if you do the math, it kind of lets us know that there were four days left of the month before the seventh month would start, correct? Okay. Now, now four days, it's not a huge amount of time, but it is certainly some amount of time in which some things can be done, correct? Four days is ample amount of time for some things to be organized, for some things to be brought together. And so on this 25th day of the month Elul, after 52 days of work, the wall is finished, the wall is complete, the enemy is distraught because they cannot deny this was the work of God in their lives and the people of Israel would have known it as well as Nehemiah. And so I want us to turn now to Nehemiah chapter 9 because we're going to see what happens or what seems to have happened somewhat spontaneously or what I might say tonight as this, what seemed to have happened almost naturally as a result of what God had done in their midst. In chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 8, I've got you in the wrong chapter. In chapter 8, we see what is almost a natural response to what God had done in their midst on their behalf. So notice what it says in verse number 1. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And jump down now to the last part of verse number 2. It says, Upon the first day of the seventh month. Okay? So the first day of the seventh month would have been four days after the conclusion of the rebuilding of the wall, the 25th day of the sixth month. So almost instinctively, almost naturally, it seems as though with no provoking or prompting from Nehemiah, 
it says in verse number 1 that the people gathered themselves together as one man in unity there in the street that was before the water gate. Somebody says, well, well, what do you find interesting about this? Here's what I find interesting about it. That as a result of God's working in their midst and as a result of God working on their behalf, here is what the recipients of God's goodness wanted to do. They wanted to assemble one with another. They wanted to assemble one with another. Now, you know, we're, we're going to work into this in the next couple of minutes, so I, I trust that we'll give this time to develop. But, but as a result of what seems to have been accomplished by God in their midst, on their behalf, the natural response without anyone telling them, hey, this would be a good idea, hey, have you considered doing this? The people, they came together as one man in unity into the street. Notice what it says next. It says, And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. I find this interesting. That as they assembled, you know what they wanted to be present? They wanted the word of God to be present. And they wanted the Word of God to be read. And they wanted the Word of God to be declared. And they wanted the Word of God to be explained. And they wanted the Word of God to be brought before them. And so here they are, a people who has been the recipient of God's goodness, those who have been the recipient of God's grace. They have watched the power of God being made manifest in their lives. And I find it interesting that here is what they did almost naturally, again, almost instinctively, without having to be told to do these things. We want to assemble, and we want to assemble around the Word of God, that being declared to us by the scribe, by the, by the presenter of the Word of God, Ezra. That's what we want. So in verse number 2, that's what Ezra did. It says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. This is good, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. You know why I like verse number two? Because it says this, Both the men and women and everyone who could have understanding, they were a part of it. It involved everyone. I, I was thinking about this, you know, and, and I can't prove this, and I'm not trying to make a big issue of this, but I, I, I do think that, that it's safe to read some of this into the text by way of some common sense. But if the men were there and the women were there, where do you suspect probably the children were? They were probably there with dad and mom. You know, dad and mom probably didn't say, hey, listen, me and mom are going to go out. There's this thing going on out by the water gate. And I tell you what, you kids just stay home and, and y'all just play games, do whatever you want to do. And, and, and we'll be back in a little while. We don't know how long this is going to be. No, it seems to indicate from the text that, that everyone who could have been there was there, both the men, the women, most likely the children. And what were they doing? They were assembling around the Word of God as Ezra would have presented it. I like this. It says in verse number 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate 
from the morning until midday. When did they start? Well, it's pretty clear in the morning. And when did they stop? And when did they let everybody be dismissed? Well, it wasn't an hour later. It wasn't after a few minutes of singing and a special and, and a quick message and a quick word from the priest Ezra. No, it was from the morning that it began all the way to the midday. And it says, before the men and the women and those that could understand once more. And so, again, what you see is this, is that naturally, instinctively, without anyone prompting them, without anyone encouraging this, it was like a, sponta a spontaneous assembling of those who had received the goodness of God in their lives, and they wanted the Word of God to be present, and they were in no hurry to get away. Apparently they were patient and apparently they thought, you know, this takes precedent over everything else we've got going today. And, and you know, this takes priority over everything else that we've got going on today. You know, we've been the recipients of God's goodness and God's blessings in our lives. I think we can give God today. And, and you know, if it starts early and runs late, we're going to be okay. Well, aren't the kids going to get restless? They'll be okay. Um, aren't you going to get tired of just sitting there listening to Ezra and the others read? We'll be okay. Yeah, anyways. Didn't say we'd all agree with it. I just said I like the idea of it. I like what it goes on to say in verse number 3. Before the men, the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people, uh, and that all could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. What does that mean? It means this, they gave attention to what was being read and what was being explained. So, you know, it, it wasn't like, hey, everybody's gathering down by the water gate. So, okay, let's go down to the gate and let's listen to Ezra. And then as Ezra begins reading, you know, for the first 15, 20 minutes, that's okay. First 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, okay, that's yeah, okay. I, I mean, we knew we'd be here for a little bit, didn't know we'd be reading for an hour, but hey, it's okay. Wow, two hours into this, he's still reading. And that guy's got some lungs, right? Wow, wow, we got here this morning, and here it is, mid-morning. That man's still going. Whew. You see where this is headed, right? They didn't reach that point. The Scripture says that as he started in the morning and went to midday, here is what all of them did that could they gave attention to the book of the law. So apparently, not only was it a priority for them to be in attendance that day, to be around the Word of God that day, it was obviously something that was a priority for them that came natural, that if we're going to assemble where the Word of God is read and declared by the priest, then here's what we probably ought to do. We probably ought to give it some attention. And not let ourselves be distracted 
by anything else we've got going on in our lives. So in verse number 4, it talks about how the pulpit of wood was made and for the purpose of which it was made. And it says in verse number 5 that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people and how when that happened, the people stood by way of respect and and reverence to the Word of God. But I like verse number 6 as well. And and don't worry, we're almost done and to the point that that we'll get to some application. But I want us to notice in verse number 6 what it says. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What does that imply? Well, it just implies this, that based upon the reading of Scripture, whatever Ezra brought before them, the Scripture doesn't tell us, but whatever it was that Ezra brought before them, as they gave attention to what was being presented, you know what they did? They responded appropriately to what they heard. If the amen was in order, then they said amen. If the lifting of the hands was in order, that's what they did. If they needed to bow and spend some time in prayer and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground, that is what they did. But here is what the people in the assembly did that day. They took what was said because of the attention they gave it, and then they made it personal. And as they made it personal, they responded to what was being presented to them from the Word of God, they did not just sit and give it attention and then dismiss it from something that may have been needed in their own personal lives. So here we've got, just in a nutshell, this scenario. On the 25th day of the sixth month, the wall comes to a completion. The enemy and everyone knows that God has done this. And four days later, the children of Israel, they are assembled. They are asking for the word of God to be presented. In doing so, they are giving it the attention it deserves. And in giving it the attention it deserves, they could not help but respond. And that was what came natural to them, it seems. Now this evening, I want to ask you something. I know the answer. But I'm going to ask it anyway so that we can begin drawing some parallels here. The question tonight that I present to you is this. Has God ever been anything but good to us? Well, the answer is no. He has never been anything but good to us. We may not like everything that's happened in our lives, but more times than not, we are the ones responsible for the messes that have been created. But even in those times when it is God who has taken us places and brought us through things that we would not have necessarily chosen for ourselves, God was still manifesting His goodness in our lives because God is always a good God to each of us. He really is a good God. And He really is always a good God, even when we don't always like the circumstances of life. 
Now that in mind, I want us to think about this, that if God has been good to us, if we have been the recipient of God's goodness, if we have been the recipient of God's grace, if we have known something of the power of God working in our lives, I wonder if there are some things that just ought to be natural of us by way of our response because of what God has done for us. I just wonder. Listen, I'm not saying that this is a proof text for everything that I'm about to say. I'm just saying you can't help but read this and, and, and ask yourself some questions like, I wonder if what happened to them maybe should be true of me. What do you mean? I just mean this. As a result of God's goodness, I wonder if it should be true of me that somewhat naturally, without me having to be forced and without me having to be prodded, I wonder if there should be some kind of a natural response on my part to have a desire to assemble with other people who have known the goodness of God in their lives. It seems like that should be a natural response for me, that if I am the recipient of God's goodness, if I am the recipient of God's grace, then I should naturally have a desire to assemble with others who have known the same grace and power in their lives. It seems reasonable to think this, that if I have been the recipient of those things, then naturally, if I'm going to assemble, I should have somewhat of a desire for the Word of God to be declared in the midst of that assembly. Like that should be a priority. Amen. You know, like if I'm going to assemble, I don't need to assemble just to hear a bunch of people give testimonies. Not that there's anything wrong with testimonies, but at the conclusion of the testimonies, there probably ought to be a presentation of the Word of God. Listen, I'm not against singing. I love to sing. I love music. But even in that, there ought to be like this hunger for the declaration of the Word of God just to remind us of the goodness of God that we've already been the recipient of. It just seems fair to somewhat assume that that should be a natural response of mine, that I should desire to assemble with others who have been blessed and to assemble around the declared Word of God. This seems like it should be somewhat of a normal and natural response. That if God's been good to me, my greatest objective in the midst of the assembly should not be the closing prayer. And when is this baby going to wrap up? You know what I'm talking about, right? It ought to be that if I'm coming in, my intentions and my desire ought to be coming into this, I'm here till we're done. And so if it's one of those 45-minute services, that's what I'm here for. If it's an hour service, that's what I'm here for. If it's one of those hour and 20-minute services, that's what I'm here for. I'm here not to get away. I'm here to be here and to be a recipient of the Word of God and to hear the Word of God and to be with those who have been blessed in the same fashion in which I've been blessed. 
And it does seem natural, or it ought to seem natural, that if we're going to assemble around the Word of God with no real intentions or desire to hurry up and get out, it ought to be, I think, somewhat natural of us to want to give attention to the Word of God. And then past that, I would say, it ought to be natural that as the Word of God is going forth, as it speaks to us, there ought to be a willingness on our part to be responsive. Whatever the appropriate response would be, that should be the natural response of myself based upon what I'm hearing of the declared Word of God. I'm just bringing to our attention tonight that what was natural of the Jews in Nehemiah chapter 8 as a result of God's goodness in their lives, it just seems fair to say that those responses should still be natural and instinctive of us without someone telling us this is what you ought to be doing. You ought to be assembling. You ought to be assembling around the Word of God. You ought not be in a hurry and you ought be giving attention to the Word of God, and you really should be responding when the Word of God speaks to your life. That's what is natural. Or that's what should be natural. You know what I've discovered in my personal life? What should be natural and what my flesh wants to do are not always in agreement with one another. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir tonight, and I apologize for that. But have there ever been times, if you were honest, you'd have to admit, I don't really want to assemble today just so you know the pastor's been there well it's a beautiful Sunday evening well there's a lot going on and I know I need to be in the house of God but you know I've got this little voice in my flesh saying wouldn't it be nice if you're like one of those other churches that didn't have a Sunday night service it would require less work of you. You could enjoy the afternoons and the evenings to their completion, you know, and, and to the full. And, 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 oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, my flesh says, yeah, that'd be nice. But then the Spirit says, I mean, really, do you need less of this or should you use some more of it? This one probably isn't as much of a struggle for me as it could be for some of you all just because of the nature of our work. But are there ever some times on a Wednesday you come home from work and you're just kind of sitting in the chair thinking to yourself, I don't want to put my shoes back on. Ever been there? Or maybe some of you are thinking, I haven't had shoes on all day. I don't want to put them on now. 
Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's just been crazy and, and ah, just, just one service won't hurt. You know, just miss one service, it's not that big a deal. Have you ever noticed that what should be natural for us oftentimes comes as a real struggle to us? Has God been good to us? Of course God's been good to us. Has He been anything but good to us? No, He's always been good to us. So what should you and I have a desire to do? We should have a desire to assemble with others who have been blessed in the same fashion in which we've been blessed. But our flesh says, uh-uh, no, I don't want to do that. And sometimes it's a real struggle to just be obedient, to know or to do what we know we ought to be doing. And then sometimes this is a struggle. Brother Kyle, we're at church. And I know you're going to preach, okay? We, we know you're going to preach. And if you don't preach, we're, you know, or if somebody doesn't preach, we're going to kind of be like, why did we come? But the faster you could wrap this thing up, sure wouldn't hurt my feelings any. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Like, give me the cliff notes of this, right? Or the cliff notes, whatever it is, it's cliff, right? Cliff, yeah. I don't know how cliff got the credit for that, but nonetheless. Just, just give me the abbreviated version. Just tell me Jesus loves me and sends me on my way. Tell me I'm bad and I need to correct it and send me on my way. But could we just, like, hurry up and get done? It's really not supposed to be our natural response as believers, right? I mean, how many of us have ever been in a position like this? Like, as soon as he says amen, we're out the door. Do you understand me? We don't have time to waste. We are out the door. And so what does that provoke? It provokes... Mm. Oh, crud, it looks like he's going to go a little long tonight. Oh, man, I thought, oh. We ever been there? Well, we've been there. You know what we're doing? We're wanting to rush through what really deserves as much time as is needed to do what needs to be done. I, I Listen, I feel no pressure from you all to get done by a certain time. You know why I feel no pressure to get done by a certain time? Because I learned a long time ago, get done by a certain time. And you won't feel pressure. So wrap it up by this time and you ought to be good to go. I'm just saying, you know that the struggle is real, that we should be coming to stay as long as we need to stay to get the full effect of it. But sometimes we're watching the clock saying, when is this going to wrap up? And that's really not the right response. I think sometimes this is a struggle of ours, if we're honest. Brother Kyle, I'm here. And to be honest with you, i got no place to go. So feel free to preach however long you need to preach. But because with everything else that's going on, my attention span to what is being said is going to be amazingly short in this particular service. Brother Kyle, 
And I know I've mentioned this before, but Brother Kyle, if you only knew what my Monday looked like, you'd understand why my attention is on that rather than this. Brother Kyle, we've got things going with the kids right now, and we've got things going at work right now. And Brother Kyle, it's just been so crazy the last few weeks at work. And, 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 and listen, whenever I come to church, I'm sitting there and I'm not in a hurry. Uh, but i got to be honest and tell you, my attention is not really on the Word of God. It's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? It is. You come in on a Wednesday night, and I don't know what you've been dealing with all week. I don't know what you've been putting up with. I, I don't know, but I know that the struggle can be sometimes on a Wednesday night to be sitting there thinking, it's all I can do to keep my eyes open right now. My feet are killing me. I'm worn out. I've already told the kids, as soon as he says amen, we're out the door because we need to get in bed. It's just so many other things. And you know what it's doing? It's crowding out our minds from giving the word of God the attention it deserves. Now, I'm just saying that's a struggle of the flesh combating what should come relatively natural to us. And then in addition to all that, this seems to be a struggle. We assemble. We have some kind of expectation that the Word of God will be declared. We may or may not be in a hurry for it to conclude, for it to wrap up, for it to be finished. We may or may not give the Word of God the attention it deserves. But then ultimately it gets to what? It gets to our response. To what we've heard. We need to be reminded sometimes that with every declaration of the Word of God, there is a proper response to what we hear. I'm not saying that every message has to be filled with amens and people encouraging the pastor while he's preaching. I'm not saying that every sermon at the conclusion needs to see the altars full with everyone kneeling and, and, and crying out to God over something. I, I'm not saying that it has to happen every time. But I would say this, that at the conclusion of every service, there is a proper response to give to what we hear. And our flesh never wants us to respond appropriately. Our flesh says, don't give attention to that. Our flesh says, no, you don't need to worry about that. Our flesh says, no, you're okay. Our flesh says, no, you don't need to respond to that. Our flesh says, no, you don't need to kneel in prayer and humble yourself and take care of it right now. Our flesh says, no, 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 don't respond when in reality, a response from the believer, the one who's been the recipient of God's working in their lives, it ought to be natural of us that we would respond in some manner, whether it be a praying and saying, Lord, thank you, whether it be praying and saying, Lord, help me, whether it be saying, amen, I agree with what was preached tonight. There ought to be some kind of a response, and yet our flesh says no response necessary, no response required required when in fact it is necessary and it ought to be expected.
And so here's Nehemiah, here are the children of Israel, here is Ezra, and again, it seems as though this was the natural response of the Jews. Assemble around the word with no hurry to get out, giving attention to the word of God and responding to what they heard. It's fair to say that that ought to be similar of us. We know our struggles. And we know how easy it is to justify our struggles. To just not assemble. To want to not really give attention to the declared word of God. To want to rush through it or to not respond in the way that we ought. I would just encourage us to be challenged. This should be natural. This should be what comes without anyone telling us to do. So if it should be natural, are we doing what ought to be natural? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be challenged by this example of the children of Israel. Lord, it's, a, it, it's at least a challenge. If there's nothing else in it, it's at least a challenge to our thoughts and many times how we respond. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to do some soul searching with your help. And Lord, if there's anything that we need to correct and work on by way of our attitude, that we, that we would be willing to do so. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.